Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome, everybody. This is the Bauer and Rose podcast brought to you by our good friends. Is this better, Bauer? Brought to you by our good friends at justthenews.com. You can catch our podcasts wherever you get them. You can also... Be one of our avid, uh, fanatical listeners on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125. Uh, make sure and give us a five-star rating. Make sure and give me a five-star rating. I will uh, give you the freedom to rate Bauer however you so choose. Hit the subscribe button and... You see what I have to put up with, folks? It's just that's unbelievable. <laughs> it's my Christian charity that continues to allow me to be kind to this Jewish fellow. What what do we start with? And I, I, I want to ask this genuinely, because the two stories that are making my otherwise quite, um, quite sedate uh, uh, blood pressure accelerate. Number one is uh, obviously this mass murder in Texas – and the attempt, which is very successful, I, I hate to, I hasten to add, very, very successful to uh, demean and delegitimize uh, Christianity, Christians, white people. And the other is the Supreme Court, and we're going to get into that, but since I already opened up the Pandora's box, this mass murder, this horrific murder in Texas on Saturday, Sunday, uh, the the instinctive and instant and uniform rush to judgment on, and I'm not going to mention the man's name because we don't on this program promote uh, the names of mass murderers because they don't deserve uh, their names mentioned on podcasts or on radio, immediately identified as a white Christian nationalist whose name was as Hispanic as mine is Anglo-generic. His mother was such a white Christian nationalist that she needed a translator to speak to law enforcement officials. The media and law enforcement instantly, instantly put this out and we're six or seven weeks away from the mass murder at the Christian school in Nashville where the police still, for some reason, can't come up with a motive. Yeah, well, Tom, I mean, ironically, I was having this conversation just literally 10 minutes ago uh, with my staff uh, to write about this in my in my daily report. Um, yeah, I mean, this is very simply dis- explained, right? The, the, the deep state, because federal law enforcement is involved in both cases. Um, the, the FBI was brought in on both cases immediately. Um, the deep state believes the facts of the, uh, Tennessee shooting will harm 
the left's narrative about what the real dangers are in America, and they believe they can ensure that the shooting in Texas will magnify and support the narrative that the left wants to make uh, uh, about what's going on in America. So uh, that that's that's all you need to know. That's the full explanation for it. Now, as far as connecting Christianity uh, to to the shooter in Texas, have have they talked to his pastor? Did the pastor notice any odd? Uh, what about Did his Sunday school? Did he have a pastor? No, that's my point. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic, Tom. There's no way this guy. I'll guarantee you, he hasn't seen the inside of a church. Uh, you probably his entire life. He, you know, there's some things online that indicate that he was uh, he sympathized with Nazism, which is national socialism. You know, socialism. Right. What AOC and Biden and uh, the you know the the squad what they all believe in what CNN MSNBC and all the big newspapers believe in they're all in on socialism well he was a socialist he was, the, the, he, was a, he was a murderer is that, See, the, I mean the, the guys the in, point is the point I'm trying to make and of course it's always easy for me to it's not as easy for me to interrupt you as it is for you to interrupt me but my point is we don't know any of this maybe the guy is so delusional this. Hispanic fellow whose name I'm not going to mention, whose parents, who whose mother anyway, doesn't speak enough English to even pass the smell test of being here uh, legally. So there's obviously that connection. The point is, we have no idea. Maybe he was so delusional, he thought he was a white Christian nationalist, whatever the hell that is. The point is, there's an instant attempt to push a political narrative when, on the other hand, in Nashville at this horrific mass shooting by the trans, uh, I don't even know the nomenclature anymore, trans woman or trans man or whatever it was, the FBI is still searching for a motive, just like the Fort Hood shooter was workplace violence. There is a war. I can say this. I'm a Jew. There is a war against Christians and Christianity in this country. It's not a hot war. It's an ideological war. It's a narrative war. It's shared by everyone who sits upon the commanding heights of our culture. It's the media. It's academia. It's, uh, it's, it's the culture. It's the music. It's entertainment. It's high schools, kindergartens. There's never been anything like it in this country. And I, it, it, what stuns me is the totality of this attempt to delegitimize Christianity. And I'm, I'm singling out Christianity, Gary, because a lot of times good people like you will, will, uh, argue that it's a war against religion because you're trying to be ecumenical and, 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 non-denominational in that sense. It's not a war against religion. It's a war against Christianity. It's a war against Christians. It's so patently obvious, so dangerous, and I don't know how we get out of it, if ever. No, Tom, we're not going to get out of it because this is uh, this is a narrative that is being pursued all over the country. It's, I mean, look, this is... 
this is this needs like uh, you know a a ten day retreat in some mountain somewhere with no phones or whatever because this is a big deal and it's going on everywhere. Um, I don't I don't want to take a detour here. I maybe I will in a second, but I I, I just want to let you know that there's a whoops moment uh, for the left this morning. As the story has broken, and will get no attention, that the shooter in Texas, on one of his online posts, praised the transgender shooter in Nashville for her effectiveness in being able to kill as many Christians as she could in the brief amount of time that she had. So that's going to make things a little more difficult for them to continue to indoctrinate the American people about what, what's going on. Tom, another aspect of this is that uh, as they attack Christianity, and it's not just, you know, you said it's not a hard, it's not a hot war yet. Let, let me remind you that after the Supreme Court ruled uh, on abortion this summer, uh, over a hundred Christian churches were desecrated. Some set on fire, some spray painted. Uh, and when perpetrators were caught, oh, shockingly, they were given a slap on the wrist and let go. So there is an actual physical war being raged, waged against Christians. Um, there's a war of intimidation going on, which is bringing out the worst in people. As Christians slowly begin to realize this ain't their mama's or their grandmother's America, um, some of them get uppity. They want to stand up and fight, right? I mean, fight figuratively speaking. They want to defend themselves and their faith. But others have the all-too-human impulse of fear. They, they start flying gay pride pr uh, flags outside the church, maybe thinking this will prevent them from being the victim of vandalism. Um, there's something else, Tom, that's very significant. Biden uh, and many others in the left now are promoting their ungodly agenda. Uh, the LGBT demands, abortion on demand, uh, all, all this stuff. They're promoting it using religious language, literally. When they had the big ceremony at the White House after that uh, so-called civil rights bill was passed uh, some months ago that uh, restricted religious liberty, the people that spoke at the White House, including the president and the vice president, said that this is, this is a sacred moment. I, I'm overwhelmed by um, the, the emotion here. And I, I want to sing praise because of what we've accomplished. It's a very intentional effort to replace the Church of Jesus Christ with the church of wokeness and uh, it, it's organized, it's powerful. And uh, I'm spending 
probably 75% of my time trying to convince my uh, fellow Christians that they're not going to be left alone. Don't think you can weasel your way out of this. You know, there's some, some Christians are saying, well, look what getting involved in politics did. Like, I'm getting out of politics. I'm just going to go to my church and we're starting a Christian school. And I'm telling them, you know what? If you literally withdraw from politics, you'll hasten the day when they come after your Christian school. They're already coming after Christian schools. They came after the Christian school that Mike Pence's wife taught at in Northern Virginia in an obvious attempt to bring Mike Pence and his wife down by suggesting there was something untoward happening toward black students at the Christian school. So this is a war in every sense of that word. Sometimes it is violent. Other times it's just intimidation. But it literally is a battle for the heart and soul of America, as well as the heart and soul of the church. And of humanity and Western civilization. You want to see where we're going, where this goes. I was gobsmacked, I guess it was yesterday, when I read Dan Greenfield's piece in Front Page Mag. You want to find out where this goes? Well, leftists, they start out always with what we would say are reasonable and compassionate um, uh, instincts or policies before they become totally monstrously evil. Their first, you know, their sympathetic taste cases. Well, in Canada, 24% of young Canadians in a recent poll supported euthanizing the poor. I'm not kidding. This from the National Post, half of Canadians would agree to allow adults in Canada to seek medical assistance in dying due to an inability to receive medical treatment or a disability. Almost three in ten, three in ten would consent to expand the guidelines to include homelessness or poverty as reasons to seek medical assistance in suicide. Canadians are split when pondering if mental health should be a justification for an adult to seek medically assisted suicide. 43% support the idea, while 45% oppose it. Among the 18 to 34-year-old crowd, 40% support the idea that anyone with a mental health problem should be assisted in suicide. And that means this is the next bar, right? Conservatives are going to die off or be killed, leaving an exciting, wonderful new electric that's come around to the solution to a lot of the problems we face in life is killing those people that are inconvenient to us. Isn't social justice just wonderful, Gary? Yeah, it is, Tom. And uh, you, you talk about neo-Nazis, right? I mean, this is uh, Hitler's uh, dream, you know. I mean, we they, they they started in Nazi Germany with the mentally ill and uh, the the mentally handicapped and so forth, and uh, uh, they they did their best to exterminate them. And, uh, and no, of course, in 19, all over and, and, Western well, here, Europe. Right. Oh, here's an interesting. You mentioned the T4 program, which was which was uh, uh, the Nazis' attempt, not attempt, successful attempt, to, successful program to murder 80,000 people in mental institutions or those that were thought to be, quote-unquote, in German, feeble-minded. And what was interesting was that when the war started and the T4 program, the Act on T4 program, 
progressed, it was those very few members of the Lutheran church, the more prominent church in Germany, that previously had been uh, uh, uh subverted or made part of the Nazi movement, very few spoke up, but they spoke up loud enough. And this is to show the power of just a few people. They spoke up loud enough so that Hitler ceased the program due to church objections. So if there's a silver lining, maybe it refers to your previous, uh, previous point that to think that somehow if we batten the hatches, it's going to blow over is self-defeating. But it only takes a few people with guts and with courage sometimes to stick their head above the porthole and to say enough and stop. And it even, it even convinced the Nazis. It even convinced Hitler that that was a bridge too far. Of course, once the war started, um, you know, we don't need to repeat what happened after the war started, but needless to say, uh, the T4 program was used as the template for uh, for the Holocaust. Yeah, yeah you know, Tom, uh, there, there is more and more examples that if some people will just do uh, what that poor Marine did on a subway car, that is, fight back when nobody else will fight back, um, that good things can happen. Um, th- there's evidence that the polling data on the transgender issue is moving in our direction because some people are willing to fight back. Most people are cowered by these um, trans women who are actually beefy men who are some of the most aggressive, violent uh, people uh, in America today. Um, and they beat up actual women. If those women stand up for women's rights, meaning biological women's rights. But we, we saw in, um, we've seen a number of cases in recent months where single individuals have stood up and have won victories. And as I said, the public seems to be moving. But now this is interesting. The, the University of Kentucky swimmer, uh, that, uh, has been fighting this so dramatically. She said the other day that, um, that Female athletes, if, if they're in a race or at a swim meet, uh, and the race is getting ready to start and they know that one of the competitors is a transgender woman, when the gun fires to begin the race, they shouldn't leave the starting blocks. They shouldn't jump in the pool. They should refuse to compete against fake women in these events. That alone, Tom, will make every university, every amateur sports association face the very real possibility of the evaporation of women's sports, that the only people in women's sports competing will be trans women. So then yesterday, a three-time Olympic winner woman uh, cyclist came out and said the same thing. She said, not only do we need to do that, because men now, trans women who are men, are dominating women's cycling in America. They've won 17 races this year. Men have. Uh, she said, not only should you refuse to race, but all at all women's sporting events, I am begging every woman 
to bring signs with them that says, defend women's sports, protect women's sports. We've got to stand up or we're going to lose everything that women fought for the last 40 years. So, uh, Tom, I, I really feel like if if this transgender juggernaut cannot be stopped, uh, a lot of people will say, my gosh, why do these two guys keep talking about this? I'm convinced if this cannot be stopped, everything's lost. If we can't stand up on this, we're not going to have the courage to stand up on anything, including religious liberty, um, marginal tax rates, you name it. Uh, about the only thing we'll be willing to, st- to stand up on is join the hawkish Democrats to go to war with Russia. Uh, never mind China. That, I don't want to talk no, about it's, China. Right? It's, funny, it's funny you bring up China. I've, um, I've come to a uh, perhaps an epiphany on China. We, I just finished Henry Kissinger's uh, second memoirs from his time in the White House. It was a mild... A 1200 page read. It was, you know, it was breezy. Um, but it was, it was fascinating. I am not going to say one word about that book. I am not going to say, I'm not going to say whether I've read it. I haven't read it. Whatever I say, I know two mailmen will have to carry that 1200 page book to my front steps. He, he, I did a 180 after reading that on one point, and that was detente. Detente, as we remember it now, um, was an attempt to, appease the Soviet Union, to uh, lessen the arms race, to accept their legitimacy. But his point, which he makes very effectively in pages 400 through 960. Um, Could I have just those pages? <laughs> is that date, we needed Dayton at that time. There would have never been a Ronald Reagan. We were losing. We had just come out of the Vietnam War. We were bitterly divided. We were in no... No appetite. We had no, no position. Absolutely conflict. not. Yeah. And detente saved. His argument is that detente saved the 1970s and allowed for a reconstitution of the American spirit without allowing, you know, Soviet massive superiority. And it paved the way to Ronald Reagan. My only point here is that the Russia China thing, we got it all backwards. It's not Russia. Yes. It's China. And we need detente yes. with China because if we had a war with China today, Gary, we would lose. Not only do we not have, it's the Cuban Missile Crisis in reverse. Remember 1962, yeah. there was an island very close to America called Cuba. The Russians brought, you know, weapons and said, we're going to defend Cuba, defend Cuba. <clears throat> We imposed a quarantine. It was a blockade, actually. The Russians were faced with either running that blockade or not. Today, it's totally reversed. Today, we're the Russians. We're Khrushchev in 1962. We'd have to send a task force 8,000 miles. Are we ready for that domestically? Do we have the wherewithal to fight a war that, let's be honest, almost every domestic internal White House war game that I was involved in, we lost. I, everything we're sending to Ukraine, it's great, well, wonderful, you and I disagree about that. Every javelin we send to Ukraine is a javelin we cannot send to Taiwan. What we need to be doing now is 
sending everything we have to Taiwan so that Taiwan can become a porcupine. Taiwan can effectively deter China. Uh, we can try to rebuild our military if that's possible. Um, but drag queen recruiters and uh, uh, transgender uh, recruits are not going to rebuild our military to the extent that we need it to be rebuilt. Yeah, well, uh, you, you know, I don't know if we're Renaissance men or just uh, have uh, disorganized minds. It's amazing how we can just go from subject to subject with great alacrity and and sound um, extremely competent, no matter what we're discussing. Uh, but I, you know, sometime when we have more time, I, I would make the case that actually all these things are are very much connected because as America becomes more decadent. Uh, it, it will have a harder time finding recruits to defend it. And as it becomes more decadent, uh, our enemies will salivate more at, uh, at how easy it's going to be to, to, uh, you know, finish off what increasingly looks to them as rotten fruit, uh, you know, hanging from the tree. Tom, I don't want to go too far afield and get, you know, because. Well, I just, I just brought up Taiwan, so I don't know how much farther afield you can go. Uh, you know, many, many people had the dream in recent years that with a little bit of creativity, we could get a detente between us and Putin's Russia. Because at the end of the day, Putin's Russia has a gigantic problem with communist China. Yeah, the, the, Putin's pop, Russia's population is shrinking massively. China's is, appears to be topping out, but the numbers are, they're not going to change for dec, you know, decades and decades. Communist China is going to end up populating a good bit of, of Eastern Russia. Um, and all of the resources that are there. If we could have worked out something with Putin in Russia, because there would have been something here in their best interest to prevent themselves from becoming a client state of communist China, which I think we are driving them to become by what's happened in Ukraine. But that's a subject for a whole other time. Uh, the, the, the picture that we were talking about as we began to get today, Tom, um, this is one of these things, what we've been talking about is one of these things that Tucker Carlson referred to, that we're having, uh, incredible political debates on things that a year or two or five won't look very important and things that are really important. Like, you know, the complete breakdown of the, the American family, uh, fatherlessness, the breakdown of reliable standards of right and wrong, the growing power of government, the government corporate uh, uh, partnership, the growing censorship in all the West and every Western country uh, the, where the, the, the attention has gone from monitoring our enemies to using the powers we gave them to monitor our enemies and they're being used to monitor monitor and silence us, all of those things seldom become the main issues in our political debates. 
So this big deal that's going on in America right now about whether we can even draw a line on, no, you will not make me force, you will not force me to call you a woman or her because you're a man that puts on a dress. I will not do that. I don't care how many hormones you take. You can't make me lie. And by the way, you don't get the right to teach my children. If we can't win this battle, it it's all lost. And I think, Tom, the, the, the Democrats, even though they are losing in the polling, sound bold. Every Democrat in every state legislature is voting against laws that will try to get this under control. I don't think Republicans are going to want to talk about it in 2024, but I believe the Democrat Party is extremely vulnerable on this. And you don't have to say the most important, you don't have to say, you know, this is the most important issue. All you have to do is just weave it into the narrative, your critique of the Biden administration. This administration supports letting little 10-year-olds have mutilating surgery and take powerful hormones. So in view of that, I'm not surprised that people that stupid don't know how to run an economy or stand up to Russia and China. Just keep reminding people of the Democrats' radical values because there's at least a quarter of Democrat voters that if you keep reminding them of that, they will be tempted to stay home or even go with us. Is DeSantis doing that effectively? Uh, you know, uh, he's the only one. He, he's, he's the one that's spending the most time on it. And he's learning an early lesson that the, the Republican donor class don't want that. The Wall Street Journal doesn't want it, Tom. I mean, the Wall Street Journal is that, okay, grow up and quit spending so much time on Disney. Really? So now it's a conservative position that a corporation that got special treatment in Florida can use the money of its customers to decide what is taught in the schools of Florida. And if the governor fights back on that, the governor is somehow violating a conservative principle. Nikki Haley is suggesting that DeSantis is violating some conservative principle. So there's a lot of confusion in conservative ranks. There was a, <clears throat> an interview, I guess, a, Bill Bar, a speech that Bill Barr gave over the weekend, I guess, to the Columbia, the Cleveland Foreign Affairs Club, or its equivalent, in which he basically argued, I thought, unbelievably, ungraciously, that Donald Trump was not only, <clears throat> pardon me, a disaster in his first term, which, of course, Bill Barr served in, but would be incapable of uh, achieving any of the objectives that uh, he aspires to implement in a second term. I found that, first of all, the ingratitude of the man is makes it hard for me to take anything he says seriously. Somebody who the president asked to serve and who served for two plus years without complaint, without criticism, if there were issues between the two of them over policy, that's fine. You've worked in a White House. I've worked in a White House. But what was made clear didn't even need to be made clear to me. I was the hired help 
You were the hired help. If there were things that you didn't like, you either expressed them privately and respectfully, and if it was so uh, overbearing to your sense of purpose, you had the right, the duty, the obligation to step aside. Barr didn't do any of that. And now uh, there's a uh, an effort in the Wall Street Journal, of course, front page yesterday, uh, taking Bill Barr's side and using it along with Karl Rove to to paint the picture that Trump is unelectable and that even if elected, he'd be completely ineffective at achieving any of the uh, goals or policies that he's put forward. I'll say this. I worked in the White House. I'm a Mike Pence guy, but I worked in the White House was talking to somebody up uh, on the Trump team yesterday. Say what you will, Gary. I mean, we started off, You, I don't need to remind you this, we started off in 2017 not exactly knowing what we had gotten into, not exactly understanding how the White House personnel office worked, how vetting candidates worked, how to staff agencies. We had a This person, I won't say who it is. It's a Trump person. We had a four-year learning process that we never quite completed. But today, the president, through America First Policies, which is his think tank, they've got – they're ready. I mean, they they understand it. We're in a far better position today than we were uh, eight years ago to assume the reins of power and to fulfill – uh, campaign objectives and promises. And I, I, I just found this bar thing really tasteless. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know how many of <clears throat> our former uh, colleagues, Tom, listen to this podcast. I'm not going to name names other than I, I agree with you on, on, uh, on bar who I won't say is a close friend, but I, I certainly have known him and worked with him uh, for many decades, including all the way back to the Reagan years, but there are there are other people that gladly said yes when Donald Trump called him and said, "Hey, I'd like you to head up this for me." Gladly said yes, and have now um, uh, been in meetings that I have been invited to by people who thought I might be with them, and I've had to walk out of the meetings. Or I've had to call out the people in the meetings, former officials of the administration plotting to try to make sure he doesn't get another four years. And I find it beyond disgusting. Uh, I think people that are doing this have no honor. I, I would, you know, I, I would trust Donald Trump with my money if I had somebody that I wanted to invest. I look at Donald Trump's kids who never used drugs, that never drank. Uh, I would trust him babysitting for my kids. And a lot of people that think they are so much better than Donald Trump, watching how in how much they are ingrates, how much loyalty means nothing to them. The signal to me is there are people of low character. I wouldn't want them anywhere near my kids or my money. One of Barr's arguments in this speech that was transcribed and turned into an op-ed in the journal is the notion that this is Bill Barr's notion, and it is repeated throughout rhino land. You see it now on the formerly conservative Fox News all the time, that 
nobody of any credibility that Trump would not be able to staff an administration because no quality people would enter it. Well, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy, is it not? If Bill Barr and yeah. Carl Rove and it's all a threat. the threat, I'm sorry. It's oh, a yeah, threat. Yeah, they're threatening him. They're saying if you somehow manage to keep the loyalty of you know the great bulk of the Republican Party, we will make sure when you get in that you are a failed president because we will put the word out. Nobody participate in that new populist conservative administration. This is the same threat, Tom, that they tried to use against Ronald Reagan. You know, they they said multiple times, if that guy gets the nomination, we'll run a moderate on a third party ticket. He'll never win. This is the same threat the party establishment has been using against conservatives forever and quite effectively, I might say. Quite but effectively. But if he, I mean, and there, there is a, uh, in terms of brain trust, I mean, on the conservative side, we're loaded. My fear is that the efforts of the uh, never Trumpers and now the former Trumpers to pressure uh, any credible, qualified, competent person that is ready to assume significant administration office. I mean, they I don't think they want anybody of uh, credibility or strength or power to serve in a subsequent Trump administration. It's just you're right. They want failure. I don't I don't understand that. I, I, I and if you don't like Donald Trump, get in line. A lot of people don't like Donald Trump. A lot of people don't like his manner. And I think ultimately it isn't even the manner. It's the it's the way in which he threatens the very power structures of both political parties, of everything that this country has assumed to be its its natural course and direction over the past 70 years. And it all started in 2016 during the, the primary campaigns when he said things that even I would thought, oh, that's it, it's finished. You know, his comment about John McCain after McCain attacked him, his his criticism and condemnation of the Iraq war. These were things that both parties um, inside the Beltway, inside Washington, this uniparty, as you call it, had coalesced around. And when he started taking shots at that, that was a circle the wagons moment. And it hasn't ended in eight years. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, Tom. And look, uh, I mean, another part of all that is that as conservatives, we have a natural um, instinct, because we know liberty cannot be maintained without order, without civic order and public order. We support the police. We support our intelligence agencies. We support the FBI and the CIA. We've done that over many decades. We, we viciously fought against people like former Senator Frank Church that wanted to try to rein in uh, these agencies during the Cold War with the Soviet Union. Uh, but as we have talked about before, Tom, if a country begins to become oppressed by its own government, the law enforcement agencies are not something that, that under those circumstances that conservatives should naturally keep supporting. I mean, in Eastern Europe, where all the police were tools of communism, 
Poles didn't drive cars around with bumper stickers that said, support your local police. You know, it's one thing to support the FBI and CIA when they're arresting radical Islamists or trying to catch communist saboteurs or stop communist Chinese spying. It's another thing to say, yay, to the FBI, when you find out they're trying to infiltrate Catholic churches. School boards. So, yeah. So we're, we're this, that's why I keep saying we're, we're at a tipping point here. I mean, the left has swept through every institution in America and they've done a dang good job of compromising. It appears a lot of the most important law enforcement agencies that conservatives have supported. And now to my chagrin, that we have supported giving more power to, even to some extent, maybe to a great extent, ignoring Lord Acton's uh, axiom that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Tom, I was shocked to find out some years ago that there was an FBI file on me. I found out because my name appeared in the Washington Post when um, I don't even remember which administration had come in, but I think it was after uh, the Clinton administration or maybe after the maybe all the way back to after the Carter administration. Um, now, I think it was Clinton. But at any rate, th- there was an article that said that the. Uh, FBI files on a number of people that served in the Reagan administration uh, were found in computers at the White House. And that was disturbing. How did FBI files get put in the White House? So I, I'm reading this article going, oh, that's not good. And I'm reading the list of names and there's Gary Bauer. So I, I filed a Freedom of Information request with the FBI asking for my um, FBI files and they wouldn't send them to me. So I had to get much more serious about it. And I got it. And there was nothing in that. But but there were things in it that indicated they had been monitoring me back, Tom, when I was a nobody. I mean, long before. I mean, they knew things about me when I was at the Republican National Committee. What? Uh, so I, I, I was not happy. I was not happy. By, by the way, um, uh, Sheikh Mohammed, what's his name? The guy in Gitmo, one of the, the masterminds of 9 11. Uh, Sheikh yeah, Khalid yeah, Mohammed. SKM. Sheikh Khalid Mohammed uh, wrote a letter uh, naming me and John Hagee as two uh, Christian Zionists that needed to be taken Mazel care tov. of. Mazel tov. That's congratulations. Yeah. That's <laughs> well, that letter was intercepted by U.S. intelligence agencies. Now, they let it go to its recipient, which was some of Sheikh Khalid Mohammed's friends in the United States. But the, but the intelligence agencies intercepted the letter. Do you think they bothered to give me or Pastor Hagee a heads up? No. Didn't hear a word. I found out about it because somebody got a hold of it like a year and a half later 
And the article appeared in a Florida newspaper. And I get a call from somebody in Florida congratulating me and saying how proud I must be. And I go, about what? And he goes, well, you're on Khalid, Sheikh, Sheikh Khalid Mohammed's hit list. I go, uh, thanks for the congratulations. How do I get off of that? <laughs> I broke uh, my Fox News boycott on Sunday night to watch, and I'm boycotting, I'm, I'm not watching Fox News, but I watched Sunday night Mark Levin's show, and I would commend people to watch it on YouTube or some uh, platform that doesn't, <clears throat> doesn't give Fox the credit of a rating. He had the most extraordinary guest, a woman named, and I'm, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it, Yanan Pak, a North Korean dissident whose family... Uh. Yeah. was was uh, killed. She escaped uh, through China, got to South Korea. Um, everyone in her family was killed as a result of her uh, defection. She makes it to South Korea. Uh, her dream is to come to the United States. She comes to the United States. Her dream is to attend a, uh, an Ivy League school. She gets into Columbia. And at Columbia University, she says, the environment is more stifling, more oppressive than North Korea. No debate, shunning, um, delegitimizing. Uh, she was, uh, uh, she was shunned by everyone there. There's no debate. And she felt more constricted and more restricted than she did in North Korea. And the result of her disillusion was such that she seriously considered uh, uh, serious self-harm. That's how devastating it was for her to come to her dream, the United States of America, and find the atmosphere on an elite college campus I know a little about Columbia. I'm a graduate. To find it so restrictive that it paralleled North Korea. A sad commentary and a sad but probably uh, good place to end our conversation with America today, Tom. In, and I say appropriate because it is a reminder, I think, her comments. I saw part of that interview of how precious the liberty is that uh, we were fortunate enough to be blessed in a country that had that liberty, how much that liberty is in danger, and that all that has to happen for it to be snuffed out is for millions of conservatives and Christians to continue to be in denial about how late the hour is and continue to think about their own self-preservation and uh, continue to be sunshine uh, patriots and uh, fair weather soldiers, whatever the phrase is, it, it's time for every good man and every good woman to go to the front lines. Amen. Amen. Well, this was a great show. Have a great couple of days, and we will talk to you later in the week. Thanks for listening to the Bower and Rose podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find us at justthenews.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented... 
They'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.